Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. A Monday upon us, an interesting trade. And what we're going to be kind of looking at focuses around this grain complex. I mean, we know that the corn and the bean export demand, how is it holding up and how much of this influence is there with China? We've got ethanol demand. Look, and if you are like me, you may have noticed some piles of grain still, especially corn still piled up across the countryside. We'll talk more about that and more as Jeff Peterson joins us today. He is with Heartland Farm Partners and happy to see some rain, rain that Jeff is moving throughout the Midwest as it gives us a smell of spring, but still gets us thinking about these markets and export wise. How do we seem to be doing for corn and beans right now? You know, we've been holding in, in here really well, and, and that's always the concern that we have, is as prices go up there, we often wonder, is the demand going to be there? And demand has been very good, and as we take a look and just kind of review where we're sitting kind of year-to-date, and that's from the crop year, Susan, starting on September 1st of uh, 2020, and we'll go, this particular crop year goes on around to August 31st of 2021. On the corn side, have sold 2.381 billion bushels of corn. And uh, that's a new record for the pace. Uh, that's out of 2.6 billion. That's 91.6% of what USDA X, um, expects us to sell has already been sold. So we only need about 219 million more bushels to get to where the target is. So we're well ahead of pace on that. And then we step over to soybeans, and that's even a higher percent sold. We've already sold 2.23 billion bushels of corn out of the 2.25 billion that they're estimating. So we only need 22 million more bushels, and we're currently setting at about 99% sold of all those bushels. And and a lot of that, as we dig into that deeper, you know, China's been showing up, you know, last week they were in and bought over 150 million bushels of corn. And what this really all means on the export side, at least so far, is that as we go forward, everybody's looking for some higher um, export numbers in the WASD reports. And some are saying on the corn side, we may need to raise that 250 million bushels. And, and if there's any problems over on the Safrina crop side, it's a chance we could get all the way up to 3 billion bushels on the corn exports. And over on the bean side, you know, we could very well be 50 to 100 to 150 million bushels low on the export side on, on soybeans. So, you know, those are areas we're going to have to watch. I do think those we go forward, USDA will probably be kind of slow in making those adjustments on the export side. But but that's kind of what the trade's thinking right now, and that's kind of what we're seeing, Susan. So with the higher prices that we've seen, dollar influence, how is that kind of faring into what we're seeing on export numbers and opportunities? Well, you know, so far with the dollar index setting here today, we set there at about 91.73. You know, so far it hasn't been having a big influence on the export side, at least not on the corn and soybean side. You know, stocks are tight enough across the world. And the U.S. is competitive enough on our basis levels that so far we've been able to do okay, even though we had seen a bounce in the U.S. dollar. You know, it came well off its lows, but we're still hanging in there good that way. So, China, I know it's been an interesting conversation that you and I have had for the last, you know, year on what they've been doing. How is it important right now um, in importing right now with the corn? Well, you know, the the big thing that everybody's trying to figure out with China, and and it starts really on the corn side first, is that why are they importing so much corn? And and let me put this in context. To give you an idea, if we go back 
prior to this year. Currently, USDA has them as a reference point forecasted to import about 24 million metric tons of uh, corn. And there's, uh, if we look at, there's a little over 36 million bushels per metric ton, just to give you a reference. The highest amount of imports that they would have had uh, going back. So they're going to import 24 million metric tons. The highest prior to this year would have been actually last year at 8 million metric tons. And some would suggest, honestly, that that number when the dust settles could get all the way over 30 million metric tons of imports on the corn side. And and really the challenging part for the trade, I think, is as we dig into this, we'd say, well, why are they having to import so much? And and I think it's a number of different things, Susan. I think uh, their, their crop production, you know, if we go back and look at it, we, we took a look at what their production is versus their domestic use. And we look all the way back through, you know, in 2020, they actually produce less than what they're going to consume. They did the same thing in 19 and 18 and 17. So the last year for them that they really ended up producing more than they're consuming was all the way back in 2016. And as a result of that, they've drawn, they've drawn down their reserves. They've also, over that course of time, they've increased the amount of corn that's being used in ethanol, even though they've slowed up or stopped, you know, putting new plants into production, they're still using more. And then there's the big question on how much feed demand, once they get their hog herd rebuilt, how much feed demand is, is it going to take? And, and that may seem like a silly question because we go, well, they've had this many hogs or actually more than where we're at right now before, but it sure looks like the diet's different. And because prior to, you know, African swine fever, they had a, a lot of what I'd kind of call the, the backyard hogs or the smaller producers. And as a result of that, you know, hogs will eat about anything, even though they shouldn't, they will. And uh, there was a lot of, you know, table scraps and different scraps that, they, that was fed to the hogs. So I don't think there was as much corn and soybean meal that was actually being fed to them before. But now because of biosecurity and consolidation in that industry, now we're having to kind of look at and say, well, once we get all these hogs on more of a corn and soybean meal diet, you know, how many bushels of corn is it going to take? How much soybean meal is it take? And, and those are a lot of the unknowns that I think that the market's wrestling with. And as a result of that, as we go forward, you know, everybody's still questioning, could China even be building up um, a, a reserve again and, and to get a larger amount of stocks on the corn side? And I definitely think that's possible also in that mix. All right. Well, stick around, folks. We've got a lot more to look at as we head into part two today. Look at that Safrina corn crop. How is it looking? We'll see uh, no trading has start to switch export-wise to South America. How much pressure is that going to put, especially with their crop going in as late as it has in many areas? We'll talk about corn piles and basis levels, a lot of important things for our growers out there. More is coming up. It's the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield as we continue the conversation with Jeff Peterson. Jeff is with Heartland Farm Partners and lots to discuss in part two. So let's start out with this Safrina corn crop. How is it really looking right now? Well, the interesting thing about that Safrina crop is that, you know, he got in depending on uh, which part of uh, Brazil you're talking about probably at the least amount about two weeks late and in some of the other areas you could say that's about four weeks late and and actually got in you know with conditions a lot of wetter than probably what we thought uh, a few weeks ago or even a month month and a half ago so moisture level starting off is is good and that's that's what's kept it and slowed it up the problem is is by getting in late 
Well, what happens is that it pushes that tail end, that period where it's pollinating and, and filling the ear, pushes that into a really dry time frame. It's, and because what's interesting is you get out into May and June in Brazil, you know, we think about our weather varying here, but they have more of kind of definitive cutoff. You get out into May and June and it gets really dry. You know, you might be down to an inch for the month as you get it for May. And as you get into June, you might be down to a half an inch. So if you push it too far into those time frames, everybody gets concerned about the fact of how it's going to pollinate and how it's going to fill. And the other part of that that gets really concerning, Susan, is the fact that the Farina crop makes up such a large portion of their production. You know, the latest results we have would show that it probably makes up about 80 percent of what their corn crop is. And and the other important part about that is the fact that usually this first crop, the one they're harvesting now, usually gets used for their domestic use. And that safrina crop is the one that gets put out there for ultimately um, the export side. And, and the reason that's so important, Susan, is the fact that, you know, Brazil has become the number two exporter of corn. So uh, their corn crop is needed, especially as tight as stocks are out there. Is that the reason why we're seeing so much excitement and attention going to the safrina crop this year? Yeah, I think so. The minute we start seeing a lot of that crop planted in March, I mean, ideally, they'd like to get it in, you know, the latter part of uh, February. And and as you talk to some of the agronomists down there in Brazil, you know, you talk to them about being called the safrina crop and they'll say, well, yeah, you know what that stands for. And I said, well, what is that? And they go, well, it's little crop. I said, well, why is it a little crop? They go, well, a couple of reasons. We're growing, used to grow a lot less of it, but they said we also used to always plant it in mid to late March and we never got a really good yield. And I go, well, that's kind of where you're planting it this year. And they go, yeah, exactly. So there's there's probably a lot of concern coming out of Brazil on that in addition to up here. So speaking of up here, and I noticed this weekend as I headed to the western part, towards the western part of the state, and somebody actually was talking about it on Twitter as well. There's a lot of corn that's piled still at the co-ops. Are they looking at some possible writing on the wall for this summer? Well, you know, so let's let's talk a little bit about that and dig into that. So one of the things that we hear out there is summer people are saying, do they know that it's really going to be hot and dry this summer and they want to hold on to that corn for that? And and uh, I'm not going to rule that out. We don't know what this summer is going to be on weather, but I want to walk through a little bit about what that, you know, what the co-op has done. So when they initially bought those bushels, they hedged them or they sold them on the Chicago Board of Trade. And so really whether the price goes up or the price goes down from the futures price standpoint, you know, it's, it's locked in and they're protected. But, but what they are looking at is that basis level and what their belief would be in many of these cases, if that corn is still there, they believe that because of our big demand and the amount of shipments that we have going out and the amount of additional bushels that have to be shipped yet, they believe there's going to be some bigger basis levels, better basis levels down there, whether that be selling to the local ethanol plant or putting it on a train and sending it, you know, to the Gulf of Mexico, Mexico or the PNW. So I'd say more of it is that they really believe that the basis levels are going to get stronger longer term, Susan, than probably their opinion about what's going to happen in the futures market. So you talk about that basis level. What is that going to mean for our guys that are maybe looking to to hedge a little bit ahead on this new crop? Yeah, so, you know, we're going to reach a point in time in here where you may have already got a little bit of, you know, new crop sold or you got some remaining old crop 
overall, the opinion would be, I think we're going to see some better basis levels yet. So let's start first. We'll start on new crop and then we'll talk about old crop. I think on the new crop side, if I'm making sales, you know, I'm using a hedge to arrive. I'm not locking my basis for anything for harvest delivery yet. And then, and if I've got a bin and I'm putting those bushels in a bin this fall, I'm definitely not locking in a basis for anything that's going to come out of the bin as we're talking out into the first part of, you know, 2022. Now, when these bushels that we've got that are still in the bin that guys are looking to move over the next few months here, I do think we'll still see some higher basis levels. Um, the April-May timeframe is going to be a very good time to move corn this year. I think we'll find a good place uh, on the basis side, and uh, I'm not really talking about where the futures will you know, we'll peak out, but on the basis side, and I think we'll have some good firm basis levels all through the summer here on both the corn and, and the bean side will be even stronger. And, and the reason for that is that our stocks are just so tight. So I'm friendly basis from here going forward, Susan. All right. Sounds good. Best way for folks to get a hold of you, Jeff. Yeah. Give me a call at 402-366-4694. Check us out on the web at heartlandfarmpartners.com. Click on the sign up now button to get some free daily commentary delivered by text or email or follow me on Twitter at jeffpeterson01. Thanks so much, Jeff Peterson, joining us today. Commodity futures and options involve substantial risk of loss are not suitable for all investors. That is the Fontenelle Final Bell brought to you by Fontenelle Hybrids and all of your local Fontenelle dealers on the Rural Radio Network.